Hey everyone, welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer books, TV shows, films, video games, and more. I'm Tara Scott. I review queer women's fiction at the Lesbian Review and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And today I am recommending a historical mystery novel. And I'm Chris Bryant, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books, and I will be recommending a Netflix show. If you would like to support the show, you can contribute to our Coffee. Coffee is a site that lets you support your favorite content creators, including us. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have a link in the show notes, or you can visit coffee.com slash queerly recommended. That's ko-fi.com slash queerly recommended. So Chris, I hear you have some exciting news. You have a book baby coming out. I do. My book, uh, Serendipity, is coming out on September 1st at the Bold Strokes Books website, and then September 13th worldwide. No, just everywhere everywhere else. else. General release. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's it about? Tell us all about it. It is about a super mega international pop star who has it all. Her name is Bristol Baines, and she has everything she's ever wanted. She has a mansion. Her mom lives, you know, in a, in a huge house near her uh, with her brother, and it's a gated community, and she travels around the world, and she just puts on all these amazing concerts. And she is ready to walk away from it all because she cannot have anything other than that. She can't have a relationship because she doesn't know if the person's dating her because of her, who she is. And it's just really hard for her to do anything in this in the world without being mobbed. So, you know, think of Taylor Swift trying to go out mm-hmm. or Ariana Grande, somebody like huge that's trying to go out and go to the mall or go like to have coffee at Panera or something yeah. like it just wouldn't happen. Uh, it would just cause a, a big chaos. So she wants out of it. She wants out of the whole music industry and she's ready to walk away. She hasn't signed with her record label for the next three albums. Uh, she's been holding them off because she knows at the end of the tour, she's going to quit. So she, uh, there's six weeks left and they lose one of their opening acts. It's actually one of my characters from, I'm going to go ahead and drop a spoiler uh-huh. right now. It's Allie Hart from Jolt. Ooh. She's actually doing, I know she's opening up, uh, but, but Bethany's having a baby and she has the baby early. So Allie leaves to, she le- she has to leave the tour. Uh, so they find a local, they're in Denver at the time, and they find a local musician, Annie Foster, and they ask her if she wants to do the two shows in Denver open up for, not just for Bristol, but there's another, there's a, a group called Fast Cars. Mm-hmm. So it's like the the little opening act, and then there's the bigger opening act, and then there's the the headliner. Yeah. So, uh, so she does the show for two nights and very successful, and they really like her. So they asked her to go ahead and finish out the tour with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, you have Annie Foster who's climbing up the musical ladder, who wants what Bristol has, and Bristol's trying to get out. So she doesn't want to start anything because she feels like they're on different paths, and they are—they're on completely different paths. She doesn't want to hold Annie back, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, she's getting invested emotionally with her, and it's just—it's just a good love story, low angst. And if you like music and musicians and just the whole scene of concert life and and romance, then pick it up. That sounds really lovely. Do they get together at the end? I don't know. Hard to say. It is a romance novel, though. It so is. probably yes. <laughs> or you're going to have probably every yes, fan revolting wow. and burning Goodreads <laughs> to the ground. Right. So that would, uh, yeah. So it's there's a spoiler alert. There's a happy ending. So. I yeah, like the sound of this That's one. my news. That's my book. I think I'm yeah. going to read this one because I am kind of a sucker for Yay. celebrity romances. And also, I think the thing that has me most excited about this, and I don't think you, I feel like you and I have barely talked about this book. Like, we've talked a lot about uh, some of your other books that you've written since we started the podcast. Like, we talked a lot about your last book. But um, the thing that has me excited about this is I know how much you love music. I know. I love it so much. And so I feel like... You're writing about two musicians, and given how much you love music, I feel like it's going to just add a little bit of extra spice in there that maybe spice isn't the right word, but like flavor or texture or however you want to put it. Like, Yeah, it, you can definitely tell that this is something I stand behind and I love. Because yes. once you love something and you write about it, I mean, it really should, it comes across, you know, in your writing, yes. it does, it picks up. Exactly. I think another amazing example of that, which maybe is 
partly brought to mind because a reader was asking me about it on Twitter yesterday is Rachel Spangler's book about curling. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I yeah. think it's called I think it's called Fire on the Ice. Or Fire, fire and, and or ice. Fire and Ice. Yeah, fire no, I, and yeah, ice. I think hers yeah. is Fire and Ice. Tamsin Parker wrote the Olympic erotic romance Fire on the Ice. Right. Right. You talked about that. Does one. <laughs> have ice sports. And so if you're into like Olympic ice sport stuff and like fisting i guess <laughs> that's the book for you i think that <laughs> how did we go it. from the sweet I musician know. type romance I to fisting know. how did this happen i know uh but rachel spangler's <laughs> book like you can tell that they love curling you get yes. like it's just there or even like their tennis romance which i will not remember the name of for sure but again, you can just tell that they love tennis. Like, it's, there's just something so special about when authors write about stuff they truly care about. So, yes, I'm excited right. about your book. Full circle. Right. Back to your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, serendipity. Go get it. It's, uh, Pre-order yeah, it. Yeah. It's it's super cute. I really like it. And, you know, this, that's my last book for 2022. Really? This is it. September. Yeah. Because Catch doesn't come out until January. Well, also, to be fair, and I don't think we actually, I think we missed talking about it because, again, I may have fallen down with COVID for a while. Um, but you also recently were part of a little trilogy series. Right. Yeah. Stranded Hearts with Amanda Radley and Emily Smith. We had to write about people getting stranded together. Cute. And so that was just a quick novella. That was just kind of for fun. And um, yeah, so that that was out earlier in the summers in July. And, yeah, I had COVID um, then. That was that. That yeah, was probably so it because we missed an episode. <laughs> right, we did. That's that means month. A month happened. I know. I still can't believe so. we went a month without talking. To be fair, I didn't talk to anybody for a month if they didn't live in this house. True. I think I think we might have texted. I think yeah, I checked in. With you did. You. you checked on me a lot. I, think I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we didn't really like talk like this. Like, no. Let's talk about queer stuff and books and yeah. Yum. Things. It was more like, hey, you dead. <laughs> Right. Are you no, still breathing? You were, Are you above ground? You were much cool. sweeter than that. So, Chris, did we get any listener questions? You know, we did. I know. We did. <laughs> and some of them were interesting. I mean, we. I, I like thought-provoking questions, but at mm-hmm. the same time, I'm overwhelmed by them. Okay. So, uh, Salem West said, please describe the universe and share three examples. <laughs> and I think... You know, she was mostly just fucking with us, but I also sure. think, let's sure. take the question anyway. <laughs> Thanks, Salem, for right. the thought-provoking question. Do you want to go first? No, by all means. I'm going to gather my thoughts and, and um, uh, piggyback on you. So, I cannot describe the universe because I have not learned enough. But what I can talk about is my relationship with my understanding of it which i wonder going deep i wonder if that's close enough so around when i left the church because i think i've talked about this before in in the podcast that i used to be um i was raised baptist i was you know i was evangelical until about eight years ago and i went through some personal stuff that i would rather not get into because let's keep things light but i went through some stuff that you know i i realized it was time and i think when you're immersed in that kind of environment for so long and you come out of it there's this like it's very difficult because in many ways like i feel i feel like i've left a cult and frankly i kind of have left a cult because if you look at the definitions around high control environments and all of that if that's not evangelicalism what what is it like let's be real and I really felt adrift. Like, not only was the rhythm of my week off, because I'm not going to church anymore, but like, what's real? What's true? What do I think? What do I believe? And that was when Cosmos came out. The the reboot that was done with Neil deGrasse Tyson as the host. And I, okay. know, I know Neil deGrasse Tyson is a bit of a problematic dude, mm-hmm. but I found that series... So incredible because there were a couple of there there are many many concepts in it but for me like the there were two concepts that I found so helpful and one of them was the idea of the cosmic calendar and if you look at 
how long has the universe been around? And if you look at our lives and what it counts for, like if you take all of time and squish it down to a 12-month calendar, to the concept of like scale it to that, like that's the scale. A human life is like a second or less than right. a second in a whole calendar year. So there was that. And then there was the concept of the knowable universe, which is that like, yes, we've been able to send out telescopes to take photos. And so they can see to a certain point, but it goes even past that. How far does it go? We don't even know. And when I put the two of those together, just the like finally recognizing how vast the universe is because mm -hmm. evangelicalism, like many other high control environments, encourage <laughs> an extreme amount of self-monitoring and frankly, navel gazing. And like you're constantly paying attention to your like, what am I doing? Am I doing enough? Am I sinning? What am I doing? And reporting on yourself and all this shit. And I found it so incredible to realize none of that matters. None of it matters. When we look right. at the scale of the universe and how small we all are, nothing really matters. And if nothing matters, you get to ascribe what matters to you. So for me, that's the importance of my relationship with the universe because I get to decide what matters. And so... Then I think about that and it's like, so then my main principles that I live by is like choosing love for others and for myself mm -hmm. and constantly trying to like, have I done my best and encouraging others to just like, have you done your best? Like if you don't beat yourself up, if you've, if that's all you can do. So that's the universe for me. What about you? Wow. Damn. That was deep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you went deep on that one. <laughs> You're welcome. I kind of, I'm, I'm more of. Like the fluffy, like the universe is everything, you know, it's the love we feel, it's the grass we mow, it's, mm -hmm. you know, the cars we drive, it's the pets that we save and rescue, you know, it's the kids we have for those people who do have kids, you know, mm -hmm. it's the air we breathe, it's everything, it's the adrenaline rush of a first kiss, you know, it's the yeah. overwhelming sadness when somebody dies or, or something in your life, like really is very sad. You know, it's what we see, it's what we can see. It's, it's just, it's everything. And, uh, you know, I think it does matter what we do to us. It matters to us. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. Even though we're just like a blip, you know, live your best life. Be sweet, be kind. Most people aren't doing that. You know, I, I can't believe how much life has changed the last four years. Yeah. Uh, the kindness factor of humanity uh, has really declined. And I'm sad by that. Mm -hmm. So I am trying to do things that will help elevate that, um, mm -hmm. including I will now be the confronter of bullies. Like I, I, yeah, life's too short. We learn this a blip and it's over. So that's right. Let's make it a good life. I so. agree. So what's our next question? Kale Gallagher says, what is your current culinary obsessions and why? I'm going to go first because yep. I don't have any, like, Here's my excitement. Like when I'm writing and reading and working, I don't really cook. Mm -hmm. That's, that's just not my thing. But let me tell you something. A couple weekends ago, I went down to Palm de Terre Lake and there was a, a fruit and vegetable stand that, stand that an Amish community had. And so I went there and I really don't know what it was called. It's a little watermelon mm -hmm. and it's like almost fully green. Like dark green. It doesn't really have a whole lot of the lighter green lines. It's called like a sweet gem. Maybe it's called a sweet gem watermelon. Mm -hmm. It was like the best fucking watermelon I've ever had in my life. Ooh. And I still think about this two weeks later. I'm on this fruit kick right now. And I found like the best nectarines at uh, the local grocery store. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you know, here's the deal. If somebody cuts me up a nectarine or... If I cut up a nectarine, I will eat it. I just just to eat it, like mm -hmm. it's just too stringy and stuff. But if it's cut up, I'm such a princess. <laughs> but if it's cut up, I'll totally eat it. So like right now, my food obsession is fruit. Like I can't get like right now is when all the fruits are like sweet and they're ripe mm -hmm. and they're ready for me. And this is my happy time where I have fruit that I love. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna go get some more of this today once we're done. That's a good plan. Yeah. Thank you. What about you? What is your current culinary obsession? I don't know that you could call it culinary. <laughs> right. 
We'll just go with food then, because culinary is a strong word. Yeah, it's a super strong word. I mean, I have been on a real big Slurpee kick since I had COVID, because that was the just like the frozen <laughs> Coke drink. Felt so good on my throat, and then it was like, but it also feels good for my feelings. So that's... <laughs> The sugar rush. That's kind of thing. So yes. yesterday I had actually this could turn into an obsession. So I went for dinner with a friend who just out of nowhere was like, hey, do you want to go grab a burger? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, why not? And we went to this restaurant. It's a small chain in Calgary. Maybe there are other locations. I don't know. But it's all Halifax inspired food. So Halifax mm-hmm. is one of our maritime cities here in Canada. It kind of does have its own sort of culinary cuisine, and I saw they had lobster rolls on the menu, and I thought, well, I've never had one of those, and I don't know if it's a good idea to have a lobster roll in Calgary, but Mm. I'm going to try, mostly because their commitment to being a Halifax-style restaurant. I thought if anybody's going to do a good job in Calgary, it's going to be them. It was so fucking good. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It was so delicious. Oh, man. Like, the lobster was delicious, but also, I think for me, it was the bread that they put Mm -hmm. it in because it was like, so you get three pieces, and it's almost like they took a super soft baguette, and they cut, like, chunks out of it, and then they cut, like, a partial chunk in it, and that's where they stuff all the crab meat, but the outsides are toasted. They're, like, buttered and toasted. And so it's like soft and kind of crunchy and it just, if I could marry, I actually did say to my friend, I said like, if I could, I want to marry this food. food. If I could marry food, I would marry this food. Like I'm very happy with my marriage, but like that food was really good. So maybe that's my new obsession. (laughs) Yes. So you need to go to P-Town because in Provincetown, like lobster rolls is like a staple. Everybody has them. Like there's the lobster pot and they have lobster rolls. Every restaurant has a lobster roll. I honestly have never had one before because I'm not a seafood lover. Mm. But you had me at bread. I mean, I'll eat the bread right? all day long. That's the bread and cheese. I could eat bread and cheese my whole life. You can have my cheese. We can both have the bread, and then we can put a little, we can tuck a little bit of lobster in my. <laughs> yeah, you can have the the lobster meat. I'll I'll take the bread and the cheese. Mm-hmm. I'll sp- okay. All right, we can share the bread. Okay, it's a plan. Good. Good. So, what's the next question? Oh, next question. Yes. Jess Marlowe says, who were your lesbian icons as a teenager? I feel like my answer is is complicated because, (laughs) as I've said before, earlier in this episode, I was raised Baptist. I thought I was straight, even though when I look back, like, that girl was not straight. Right. But... I never I never knew why at the time I was so drawn, but I was really, 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 really into Katherine Hepburn at the time. And it's only oh. as an adult I learned that she was a lesbian. And I just thought she was this incredible actor. And it's like, no, no, she had that big dyke energy. Like that. She had a vibe. Yeah. yeah, she had the vibe. She had the vibe. Sure. So I <laughs> would say her for sure. And then I don't it's tough because, like, in the 90s, there weren't a lot of famous out queer women, I don't think. Right. So that's why I went with the whole vibe thing. Yeah. Like, my answers are just my vibes. Like, who I got the vibes from. Yes. And, like, spoiler, like, they're not gay, but I got the vibe from them. Like, yes. for example, Joe from Facts of Life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very vibey. Mm-hmm. Very vibey. And I, I like... As a matter of fact, I had a Google. Nope, straight. What? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, straight. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, what? And then, like, and same thing, Ali Sheedy from Breakfast Club. Oh, yeah. You know, even yeah, though yeah. she was like, yeah. you know, wanted to hook up with one of the other characters, like, she just screamed queer. She had a queer vibe. Especially, queer vibe. especially in um, The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Like, extremely yep. queer vibe. Uh, and then everybody here is going to love this answer so hard right now. Mm. Like, they're going to be like, high five, Chris. So mm-hmm. Watts. What's Watts? Mary Stuart Masterson. From, oh, uh, some kind of wonderful. Queer vibe. Yes. Queer vibe. Yes. Totally would have dated her. Well, I think Janine Garofalo gave me a vibe. Yeah, she well. did. She did. And I liked that she, she was did. snarky. Always. I found that really attractive. Like, <laughs> I still like, I, I use her lines from, uh, what is it? The truth about cats and dogs. The one where she's like, you can love your pets. <laughs> just don't love your pets. 
<laughs> Truly. It's wrong and yeah. a crime. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You know, and plus, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, because I love music so much, it's been such a big part of my life. Yes. And so, you know, and I was just kind of like, I was attracted to so many different uh, musicians. And then yeah. the musicians who I knew were, were queer, you know, Tracy Chapman, uh, Katie Lang, yeah. uh, Melissa Etheridge. Yeah. You know, and I like my big thing when I was a teenager was Madonna. Oh, I mean, yeah. Queer vibes, you know, yeah. lo- gays love her. She loves the gays. Yes. Uh, for sure. So I had, I mean, looking back, hindsight 2020, you can see your your younger queer self uh, trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh, of course I like Joe from Facts of Life. And of course I like Dally <laughs> Sheedy from Breakfast Club. You know, it makes sense. Of course. So, yeah. 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 That's so true. One final question. Wendy says, if you have the power to make one sapphic book into a movie, which book would it be and who would play the leads? And I feel like the only one we were both able to really hit on was, uh, luckily, already being made into a movie, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn right. Hugo. Woo! Woo! But I don't think yeah. we know who so. we would want to have play the characters. Not all of them. I I still feel very strongly about my suggestions for Evelyn. I th- I know. People I think are your be like, suggestion is too old, but go on. No, yes. no. I think no. I said Shakira. How old, How old is, is Shakira? Shakira? We're gonna search this up together. <laughs> She's probably like she is forty-five. She looks fantastic. She does look fantastic. I think it's just a question you know, of whether she they... can act. Yeah, but I feel like I kind of feel like when I was listening to the book. Mm. I was kind of picturing somebody like Shakira anyway. Yeah. And I think Monique, it's so funny because, uh, like, who would, who, would, yeah, this is hard. Uh, <laughs> this is a hard one. So Monique, I would pick, like, who is that woman from Sleepy Hollow? Because she was really good. You're going to look that up, too. Sleepy Hollow. Do you remember that TV series, Sleepy Hollow? No. Really? It was pretty good. It was from, if I found the right one, it was from 2013. I did find the right one. Nicole Bahari. I think she would be fabulous. For Harry, I'm thinking kind of like, he was in the Queen's Gambit. He played the little boy that played the drums in Love Actually. Oh. Thomas Brody sang. Thomas Brody, yeah. Yeah, I think he could be interesting. Think he would be Harry as Harry. I don't know for Celia either. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a Celia. Tough one. I feel it like could be just about anybody, but I do agree for. So I'm not sure I agree specifically with Shakira, but I would. I would also want to see a Latina woman play it, just because she is like she's yeah, a cute. She's she a Cuban American. So I mean, if you could find another right. Cuban American to play her, that would be ideal. But her hips don't lie. <laughs> I mean, no, I, hear that. I, I just, don't. yeah. But in terms, <laughs> I think, I think she's a lot. Yeah, she looks a lot younger mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. Uh, forty-five. That's that shocks me. Shocks me. So she looks great. But I also think, in terms of which ones of your books I would like to see turned into oh, movies, I would like to see the Ireland book turned into. Oh, really? Movie. Forget me not. Yes. <laughs> I think that would be great, don't you? Like the American that goes to Ireland. Right. It would be so beautiful. It would be so beautiful. And it would just be like the most chill, charming rom-com. Like the kind of rom-coms that don't get made anymore. I know. That's so sad. But like make it it into like a 90s style rom-com. But with like people today. I don't know who I want to play anybody. I don't care about that part. My main thing is give me Ireland on the screen with two girls falling in love. (laughs) Right. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. I'm down for that. I'm down for any of my books, really. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> Hollywood, make Chris's books into movies, please and thank right. you. <laughs> please, please. Yeah. So, Chris, what have you been reading or watching? Okay, so, Alone finished. How do we feel about the ending? We don't like the ending. Oh, no. Like, I don't like the ending. I don't like it. Was it just the wrong person? Was it? I mean, you... The wrong person won. Oh, no. I mean... And, like, it's a half a million dollars, and this person who won was just kind of like, meh, whatever. You know, whereas other people were like, this is life-changing for yeah. me. 
uh, I could get some land and build, put my yurt somewhere else <laughs> and have a classroom. Because one of the characters, I'm sorry, one of the uh, contestants lives in a yurt. Oh. And was like, I can move it to this land, and then that could be a classroom, and I could teach people survival skills and stuff. So and like, good. And I wanted that person to win, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Great, I just ruined that. But anyway, yeah, so I watched that. Mm-hmm. I finished that, and a new a new series that's Alone Frozen uh, starts. And they take six of the previous characters, and they drop them in like, right, when it's already freezing cold. Like, no. Uh, the show normally starts in late fall, so they have enough time to build shelters and, like, kind of get some game. And But this one drops them right in the middle of the winter up in, like, northern Canada, like, even further north than you. Where are they? Well, I'm not... I'm not that far north. <laughs> I know, but you're you're I, more north than I well, am. That's true. So. I I am four hours north of the border, but there are many, 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 many more hours north to go. So right, there's a ton. So like in and one I, of the territories. I know, like Labrador, wherever Labrador is, Labrador La- Island. Labrador. Labrador is a maritime island, so it's all the way out on the east coast. East coast north. My understanding is that their winters are bullshit like yeah very cold that's what they're doing very windy lots of snow quite insane well good luck i hope they don't die out there yeah well the good news is is there good news (laughs) they have a um they have the the walkie-talkie and they have to tap out like Mm -hmm. they have it on them at all times and so like and can they be checked in on like can the can yeah they do like at the very end when you know people are dropping like 50 60 pounds mm-hmm. they do med checks and they check and they'll pull you if your body's shutting down oh, okay so like say if the production crew are like if they go to check in and they don't hear anything back then they're gonna go find that person right, right. okay well that's good hopefully they check on them a yes. little more frequently in frequent but here's what i love about this one mm-hmm. oh yeah canada winners <laughs> So this this Frozen mm-hmm. series uh, has three men, three women. Interesting. Woo-hoo. Interesting. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, because normally like there's like three or four women mm-hmm. most max. There's like ten people, and the women are usually three or four. Yeah. And so this is split three three. That's pretty cool. So I'm pretty excited about that. And they're you know they're in different places. They'll never see each other. But that would be kind of fun to like. I would love to well, look at me. I would love to be on the show. No. I would love to go find somebody that was dropped off. You know, be like, hey, you're over here. But it's the woods and stuff. It's just yeah. like, it's, you can't walk through it. You'll twist your ankle, break it or something. Yep. So anyway, so Alone finished up. And then I watched yesterday. I, I This is unbelievable. Okay, so I watched a documentary because I, I think you and I have talked about mm-hmm. this. Like, at some point you hit an age where documentaries are like amazing they're like the best thing ever mm-hmm. and yeah so i watched train wreck woodstock 1999 oh. it's on netflix it's a three-part series where day one is the first episode day two is the second episode and day three is the third episode mm-hmm. and that's it and so here's the really weird thing i almost went to it really i almost went to woodstock 1999 yeah because you know i love music so much yeah. And the draw wasn't, it didn't have a big pull, like who was the lineup. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit harder than I like. Mm-hmm. So I didn't you know Limp Biscuit, Corn. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. I love Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. But so you watch this and, and the thing is, it's, you have like 400,000 people that were there. Mm-hmm. Like at one point they had 400,000 people and like they didn't have enough sanitation. They wouldn't let you bring any food or water in. And so, what? like, they had Johnny on the spots, and there, I don't know how many there were, but there weren't enough. And they were getting backed up and oh just shit everywhere. It was horrible. And there was no, like, sanitation crew to get rid of the garbage. Oh, no. So people started rioting. Like, they're like, hey, you're not taking care of us, so we're going to riot. So it was crazy. It was like anarchy on the third day. They burned everything down. You know, vendors were robbed. Like, this whole thing was trying to get a whole trying to make money the guy who was in charge of this michael lang i think is his name was his name mm-hmm. but he was trying to make money because he did it in 1994 and it didn't make money so he's like well this this time the 30 year anniversary of the original woodstock from 1969 yeah it's gonna be huge it's gonna be massive 
and they farmed everything out. They farmed like the, the foods out. They farmed the sanitation out instead of taking care of it themselves or, or providing a service, you know, that they had control mm-hmm. of. They didn't have control of who they hired. So like this is back in 1999. They were selling bottled water for four dollars mm-hmm. a bottle. And so, you know, these kids couldn't afford it. Yeah. So they're drinking out of like, they have like some hand washing stations and some shower stations and like the health department would check the samples of water and it was like full of shit. Uh... And it was just awful. It was just awful. So, you know, and then like there were sexual assaults. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of lawsuits uh, filed after it was over said, you know, it was just awful. You know, the ATM machines, they were, they busted the ATM machines to get the money. It was just like, it's so all these fucking kids that like, I say kids, they were probably, you know, young adults, mm-hmm. you know, just causing massive chaos. You know, they're probably running the country right now. They're probably like, uh-huh. they're in office somewhere, you know, or, or in charge of corporations. It's kind of like just a bunch of bored white kids. Or rioting at the Capitol. Right. They're, exactly. So they're exactly. You are 100% correct. It sounds like, like they're the, either running the country. Was this the original or, Fire Fest? <laughs> you know, the Fire Fest was more like. More of a grift. Yeah, it was kind of like Fire Fest, but only with all like like a lot of men, a lot of white, angry, bored, entitled young adults. Mm-hmm. And so there was like there was so much lack of respect and like even the and i remember seeing one little thing on mtv at the time that it was happening i remember kurt loader was saying yep it's time to get out of here and like everybody fucking left like mm-hmm. they all just left cuz they want to die and i'm like thank god i didn't go to this no. i mean it was pretty massive and uh thank god yeah speaking of 90s <laughs> I things that one. speaking of 90s concert things did you ever go to yes. lilith fair Oh my God! Stop! Stop everything right now! I went to every little fair I could go to. I knew it. Are you okay. kidding me? I had like second row seats, and I told somebody. So we talked about this on Twitter. I actually tweeted that mm-hmm. we needed to have another Lilith fair. Oh again. yes. Like Sarah McLachlan needs to come out of her like retirement or whatever, and let's bring this love fest back. And I went to so many. And here's the deal: somewhere in my house, I have a folder mm-hmm. or a something like a photo album of Lilith Fair yeah. and I had like I had the best camera I sneaked it in like the best camera and I was in second row yeah. like I have Cheryl Crow like super close oh like you God. see the veins in her arms as she's like strumming her guitar and the the chicks were there and uh it was just great like I and I mm-hmm. You know, Natalie Merchant was there. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. I love Lilith Fair. Bring that back. Like, uh, my queer, my young queer self was just, like, in awe. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, everywhere I could go see Lilith Fair, I went. I knew it. So wonderful. This makes me want to go downstairs and dig through all the, the, the tubs and try to find I that, hope you do. that album. And then I'll share it. I guess the, the pictures are amazing. Yeah. And it was film. This was before digital cameras were really big. Yeah. So it was all film. So cool. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I'll say the last thing uh, I wanted to talk about is I saw the movie. It was on Netflix because I am completely like I'm either writing or I need to chill. And so Age of Adeline mm-hmm. came on and I'm like, oh, what's this? Blake Lively and Harrison Ford. I'm like, what's this? And it was a really good movie. It was from 2015. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it's like the number one movie on Netflix now. I mean, it's just so cool. You know, it's just this this woman who stays 29 oh something happens she's in an accident in like in the 1920s or something she's in a car accident and lightning strikes and like starts her heart again like strikes the water but it stops her aging process that's kind of cool so she doesn't age yeah and so it's really cool the whole thing is super cool so I thought it was kind of fun. I mean, it's not queer at all. But the only part I didn't like about it is the, the, the love interest was a little too aggressive in pursuing her mm-hmm. because she has remained hidden. She, she doesn't like her picture taken because forever people were after her mm-hmm. because they knew that she wasn't aging and they wanted to, like, study her and, like, what was going on. And the government wanted her and she just, like, you know, she would always run. She was yeah. always on the run. And so, so when this guy, modern day guy, she meets this Ellis guy and he's like, he's, he's fun, but he's also really uh, assertive and aggressive. And that part I didn't like, mm-hmm. but once you get past that and you understand like the relationship and where it came from, it's a, it's a cute movie. So I watched that. Good. Yeah. 
Yeah. What about you? What have you been reading or watching? So Drag Race season seven uh, or the All-Stars season seven has ended. I think it hadn't quite ended the last time we talked. My favorite queen, Jinx Monsoon won. Sorry if you didn't already know, but it's been all radio. <laughs> it's been everywhere on social media. You must know. Um, right. I right. love her. I think she is such a talented queen. It came down to her and Monet Exchange. And honestly, they both like... Monet also killed it, so I would have been fine if Monet won, but I have to admit, I'm also very happy that Jinx won. So I'm watching Canada's Drag Race and Drag Race Down Under. I didn't even know there was a new season of Drag Race Down Under starting. It was just like, boop, here it is. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, here we are then. (laughs) Um, Right. It's great. It's great. I really enjoy the Australia cast. I wasn't super sure about the Canadian cast. And I think, you know, I said it last time. It's kind of weird going between like max budget production, all star yeah. <laughs> season seven to, hey, it's Canada's Drag Race. Like, Can do, I borrow do, do, do. your lipstick? Yeah, exactly. The Calgary Queen, unfortunately, was sent home, which made me sad because I really liked her. She's Métis and I think is just so, so, so cool. Both of the Indigenous Queens were sent home, unfortunately. But I'm I'm curious to see how that ends up going. So that was fun. I, however, my obsession lately, like an absolute obsession, my last boss, she recently left the company, but we're we're still friends and still in touch. And she we were catching up and she said, Have you been watching The Anarchist and on HBO? And I said, No. And she said, I need you to watch it so we can talk about it. <laughs> and I am fucking obsessed with this show. So the idea is it's a six-part HBO documentary series about basically it's a bunch of Americans who really got into Austrian economics and Ayn Rand and call themselves anarchists or anarcho-capitalists and ended up down in Acapulco. There's one in particular. He got down there and he started this conference because he's like, well, there's anarchists conferences all over why can't i start one and they called it anarchapoco because of course they did (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's interesting because the so the filmmakers seem to be at a minimum they are highly sympathetic to this cause and to these people if not like outright actually a part of the movement And when you look at the discourse from what I would say, actual anarchists, not anarcho-capitalists, they're like, these people are not anarchists. And really, like, the more you watch and the more you kind of listen to what they're saying, they're not. They are right-wing libertarians who don't want to pay taxes and don't want the government (laughs) to tell them what to do. And they're going and just like acting like jackass colonizers in Acapulco. And the part I'm at now is somebody's been killed by the cartel because they Mm. fucked around and found out when it came to selling cocaine and that's a yeah that's a that's a bad choice and so it's interesting because it has similar vibes to a cult documentary but it's not really it's it's not really a cult in the sense that like it's not a high control environment like yes all of these people hold similar ideals but when I think of other documentaries I would compare it to, I would almost compare it more to like Lula Rich. Did you ever watch that? No. Oh my God. You got to watch Lula Rich. That's fucking great. Okay. So Lula Rich is about, do you remember the Lula Roe leggings? Yes. Yes. yes I yes. didn't know about them because I'm not American and it was only ever, they were only ever right. available in the States, but it's basically about the the rise and fall of Lula Roe, which absolutely was an MLM. And so the anarchists, it's not an MLM, except in the sense that they also push crypto. So it's libertarian crypto bros. And where I found it really interesting was seeing what happened to the community when, uh, what was it, 2017, 2018? Somewhere in there when when Bitcoin hit $19,000 per Bitcoin. And wow, yeah. the people who had been able to hang on to all of their crypto or all their Bitcoin became rich. The people who had been spending it because they were living off of it did not. And so there's this massive divide in the community between like the haves and the have nots. It's so good. It's so messy. And I went like all the way down the rabbit hole. I'm like, I'm finding these people on their social media accounts and seeing how they're talking about the show. Uh One of them, I found her blog and I'm reading the. She's writing her thoughts after each episode. Like, yeah. 
So my old boss, she was like, you're going to a Narcopoco, aren't you? And I'm like, absolutely the fuck not. <laughs> uh, nope. No, never, never, never. But I'm going to read what people have to say about it, maybe. So yeah, that's been my... And then the other one is actually, it's uh, a manga series that my 10-year-old got from the library. Mm. It's super, super cute. And so I recommend it more like if you have kids in your life that need something to read, it's not queer, but it's super cute. And it's called Witch Hat Atelier. And the kind of one line description I would give for it is, what if you were chosen to do magic, but you were chosen by the dark side? Ooh. Mm -hmm. And at this point, she has not been taken by the dark side, but they keep trying to take her. And so it's this world where this girl, she's really interested in the idea of magic. She's seen magicians, but she doesn't understand how it works. And someone gives her this book. And so it's a world where with magic, it's all about drawing sigils or something like that. But it's all like it's all writing and drawing to make magic happen. And so the, the bad side gives her this book of forbidden magic, the bad shit. And she turns her mother into stone, which is not what she wants. And so one of the good guys is like, okay, I'm going to mentor you. You're going to become a witch. We're going to try to fix this. And I am seven books in. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And. Is the mom still stone? Yeah. She is. Dang it. She is. I have book eight. I haven't read it yet. And then I think there's another couple and the guy who took her in, like, he has his own motives for why he wants to... He's basically skipping all the usual process for making someone a witch, and he's making her a witch because he feels like she's his best chance to dot, dot, dot. To what? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know, but I want to know. <laughs> We're going to find out. So, yes, it's super good. So, like I said, if you have kids in your life that like to read... If they prefer to read more like graphic novel type stuff, definitely recommend that one. It's real cute. If it was queer, it would be an official recommendation, but it's not. So it's not. Wow. But speaking of official recommendations, Chris, what's yours? Yes. So my official recommendation this uh, episode, this podcast, is Uncoupled. It's a series on Netflix starring Neil Patrick Harris. Ooh, I've seen that going around. Yes, so here's the little blurb about it. Stunned when his longtime boyfriend moves out, a New York City real estate broker faces the prospect of starting over and dating again in his 40s. So, it's eight episodes. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Here's the thing. I, everybody loves Neil Patrick Harris. I mean, he's done some amazing oh, things. Oh, yeah. I, ne- I did not like his character in How I Met Your Mother. I didn't even really watch the series mm-hmm. much. I mean, my introduction to him was a Dookie Hauser, yes. like a kid Sweet doctor, like that. He started Patrick off Harris. like the, I know. So, so I've always liked him because of that. And I just completely avoided that whole series because I hated his character on it. So anyways, character is Michael and his boyfriend, Colin of 17 years, breaks up with him at Colin's surprise 50th birthday party. Oh no. Like right before, like all their friends jump out and they yell surprise he's like hey i want to break up and then like oh neil patrick harris or michael opens the door and like everybody's like surprise so it's just really awful so he's distraught and you know he misses his boyfriend so much but he dreads being a middle-aged single guy in new york city almost as much as he hates Mm -hmm. the fact that he got dumped i mean it's like it's like apparently it's like a really horrible thing Mm -hmm. Apparently. So, have you never been dumped? Uh, wait, apparently. wait, wait. Have you never been dumped, Chris Bryant? <laughs> I have been dumped. Okay. I have been dumped. But I mean, like, the whole gay vibe in New York City. Oh, they made, like, yeah. a big thing about it on the show. It's like, oh, you're already old. You know, you're you're going to be a sugar daddy now or something. Uh, yeah. It's one of those things. So, you know, his friends are trying to, they ha- they try to support him. And after a week, they're like, you need to move on. I mean, a week. It's been a week and they're like, you need to move on. He's like, I don't want to move on. So he doesn't know how to do anything. He doesn't know any of the apps. Uh, he doesn't understand that like after like on Grindr or Tinder, mm-hmm. he needs to have a dick pic in his, in his like camera roll. So, cause that, cause people, he goes, why do I have to do that? He goes, cause people want to know that's, that's how you hook up nowadays. It's not, you know, meeting for coffee and stuff. It's strictly, you know, online and it's an app mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I love this because 
as much as I love all the queer shows, the young queer shows that we have out there, I love this because it's adults. Yeah. You know, these are people who, that are closer to our age. They have our problems. Mm -hmm. They have, you know, mortgage problems, but they have money to like go on vacations and do things with, with people and have like really romantic dinners that, uh, you know, fancy restaurants and things like Mm -hmm. that. And sometimes it's just nice to see people our age. Yes have this experience and especially queer people our age because i feel like those kinds of shows have sort of happened like there's been straight shows about middle-aged people where it's like divorce and getting back on the scene and like i think the only one that's coming springing to mind right now is the once and again which i think was out like 20 years ago or something like that but like there have been others where you know for whatever reason like either um a spouse died or a divorce happened or whatever and they have and you know we see that in like lots of movies but you never see it as a queer story right and so you never see the distinctly queer challenges that might come with that because the apps are different than what straight people are using often right and 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 the the pool is a lot smaller than the straight pool and so and that's one thing you have to do i mean they share friends you know Mm -hmm. when you're in a relationship for that long you share friends and some of them take sides and some of them don't and so i love like one of his best friends and co-workers she uh she was really instrumental and like really propping him up and trying to help him Mm -hmm. and he's she's like hey there's colin they were at some wedding and he's like there's colin because you know the world is small yeah your queer friends is small and so they People are put in situations where they're like, well, we have to invite both. Mm -hmm. You know, there might be a plus one. Everybody's just going to have to deal with it. And so that's what you have to do. You have to be an adult about it. Yes. And uh, so it's just kind of about his journey coming to the realization that he is single, that his boyfriend did dump him. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't really know the reason why. I mean, you kind of find out, but you really don't know. So I'm sure that there's going to be a season two. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you know, there's there's humor. Don't get me wrong, there is humor in this, and there's a lot of light times. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually billed as a comedy. I think that's how they they mm-hmm. present it to re- uh, to viewership. But it was just nice to see people, you know, my age deal with this because, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's life. It really is, and that's what happens sometimes. Yes. So I recommend it. And Neil Patrick Harris. I mean, he's adorable. He's wonderful. Yeah. And like I said, there's a lot of humorous parts in there, like when he actually is trying to take his dick pic. And (laughs) (laughs) so it's pretty funny. You know, and he like he believes all of his friends like you have to do this now. And he's like, "Okay," so he just does it. He just he he doesn't he trusts them implicitly. And it's it's actually kind of kind of cute that he does. But at the same time, he believes everything they say, too. And like one of them's like, I hate to tell you this, but your uh, ex is now dating your rival rival real estate broker you know but it's like a misunderstanding but like they see them through like a window and they see them hug but they don't know it's just like you know misunderstandings happens in life and it's always fun to see it on a show too because it's angsty and you're like "Ah, when is this going to get resolved you know this they need to know the truth so but it was it was a good show, and it's it it. I think the episodes are short enough to where you can actually binge it in a day, and I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. Next time I'm having a yeah, lazy day, so. maybe that's what I'll save it for when I can just go and watch all of them at once. Yeah, uncoupled. uncoupled. Highly recommend. All right. What about you? What is your official recommendation this podcast? Okay, I think we've talked before about how much I love Anne McMahon's books. We must have. Yes. We must have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, if I ever stop talking about how much I love Anne McMahon's books, then I need you to check and see if I've had a personality transplant. Have I been body snatched? <laughs> what is happening? Right. <laughs> so Anne McMahon recently released a new book, Dead Letters from Paradise. And that is my official recommendation this week. Nice. In terms of what it's about, it takes place in the year 1960. It's all told in the first person from the perspective of E.J. Cloud. She's an unmarried woman who marries, who manages the dead letter office in Winston-Salem. And her life is really quiet. She works really closely with one colleague who is a black woman named Lottie. She's lived alone since her parents have died. She doesn't really seem to have many friends. 
like Lottie is kind of the closest thing that she has to a friend, really. And she volunteers at a local medicinal garden, mostly because that's just what she's always done. It was something she and her mom did together. But one day, the woman who manages the garden hands her a stack of letters that have been sent there because they're addressed to someone who doesn't exist, who's never had anything to do with the garden, and says, here, you manage the dead letter office, you deal with it. And Mm. EJ's like, what the fuck? They were delivered where they were supposed to be delivered. And the woman is like, yeah, but that person isn't here. So it's your problem. And that's where the story takes off because the mystery is... EJ trying to track down who sent the letters so she can return them. And in the meantime, she's kind of like, to to do this, there are some people who befriend her, who she needs to spend time with. And so she's kind of pulled out of her shell. And that includes, there's this like brand new to town, super precocious 10-year-old girl named Harry and a local lesbian couple, I mean, roommates who happen to live in the same house. Um, and it's actually, they have sort of a a boarding house type situation where like, yes, it's their house, but Harry and her dad are renting space in this house as well as another neighbor that's in there. I fucking loved this book. It was so, so, so good. And I think for me, it's just like, it is such an incredible character study. We get so deep into who EJ is and who she starts as at the beginning, that quiet, private, small life to at the end, like she's so vibrant and has a found family and it's so wonderful. So when it starts, like she's clearly, she talks a lot about how like, well, this is what I do because this is what my parents did. Like she's still living according to the super strict standards that her mother had raised her by. Her mother was a part of the Moravian community. I don't understand what that means, except that it's some type of religious community. And she just never really questioned. And she's still in those same rhythms. But like, she just grows so much. And given the time it's at, like, we see her start to have an awareness of, oh, shit, like the way black people are being treated is actually not okay. It's like she starts thinking for herself. And so she had accepted sort of what her I and I, Her parents don't come across as, like, any kind of, like, particularly racist or anything like that, but I think it was just that casual, well, this is just the way things are perception that a lot of people, white people had that upheld white supremacy. And so she's looking at more of the, like, this is when the lunch counter sit-ins were happening Mm. in Winston-Salem, so that's kind of a thing that we see there. And she starts, like, seriously considering it and realizing, I need to do better. How can I do better? Like, really taking on that Maya Angelou, when you know better, do better kind of thought so like i said when she's investigating the letters she spends a lot more time with harry and those two lesbians faye marion and inez and the more time she spends with them the more she learns about herself because they see aspects of her that she would never have seen otherwise and they help her see that oh maybe i can do new things and so there's this really lovely and i don't i honestly don't think this is a spoiler there's this really lovely moment towards the end where she has Faye Marion and Inez over for dinner and you get the sense that she doesn't have people over for dinner that's not a thing she does and so she goes to their place a lot of times and then it's like oh she's grown enough that she can start to host and she can bring so instead of her visiting in their lives she can invite them into her life which I just thought was so lovely and there's this you're all, you're the one that always brings quotes, and I never bring quotes, but I brought mm-hmm. a quote. Holy shit. <laughs> Yay! Mark it in the calendar. Tara Scott showed up with a quote. <laughs> but I feel like there's this, like, she's reflecting towards the very end, and the whole point of the story and her growth, to me, was really encapsulated in this thought that she has. So I'm going to share this quote where it says, I began to understand that the story of my life in Old Salem was being rewritten as a story comprised of many voices. Young and old, friend and stranger, white and black, seeker of truth and peddler of deceit, guardian of the past and harbinger of change, all of them raising their voices together in a grand chorus. Our sacred obligation as members of this community was not to deify and idealize past, but to realize the best and noblest ambitions of our founders by working together as one and discovering the best ways forward. Only then could we fulfill the original promise of this place and of all places. And I just think there's something so beautiful about that because it really is that like, I can't 
keep living apart from the community. We're all in the community. We all need to be part of it. And we need to make sure everyone has equal weight, has equal voice, and that we work together. Like, yes, it's a very idealistic take, but you kind of need idealists who are willing to do the work to get to a better place. So I really loved that. The other thing is, oh man, the letters themselves is so, so interesting. Because at first, EJ doesn't know anything except that they're addressed to Mary Ann Evans, who, like I said, was never connected to the garden. And there's like these, she she has these rules about, well, it's not just her, it's the U.S. Postal Service, I guess, in this version of them in the book anyway. They have these rules about how, you know, the dead letter office after 45 days can open a letter so they can try to understand okay. where it's supposed to go. And so they open the first one and it's signed from Dorothea. And it's like a little dirty because she's talking about how upset she is <laughs> that they, you know, they made love in this garden. And, you know, how could you leave me? You showed me this world of possibility and now you're gone. And yes, that possibility was very sexy. And it was so funny because Lottie's like, I think you might need to read that letter a little more thoroughly, my friend. <laughs> Like, clearly Lottie sees something in EJ that EJ never saw in herself. Um, But for me, like, I think I just got so hooked by the way EJ pursues this. Like, who is it that she had to know? When she could have just said, like, fuck it, let's just burn the letters. Who cares? There's nobody here that's ever been called this. Like, it turns into this passion or purpose and to me i the the sense i got was that she had never had this kind of purpose in her life or if she had it had been a very 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 long time and without that purpose and without that pursuit of it she wouldn't have changed she wouldn't have gone on this journey so i know some people are going to be wondering but is there any romance and i guess the thing i want to say about that is it's complicated uh <laughs> <laughs> Dead Letters from Paradise is not a traditional romance novel. There is a tremendous amount of love um, as EJ builds that little found family that she has with that child, Harry, who becomes almost like um, an adopted daughter. And with Inez and Faye Marion and even Lottie. And she learns, and, and even just the way she learns to love herself, because like, I don't think she loved herself at the beginning and, and she does by the end. Um, but there is a hint at the end oh. that she might find love and it's so perfect it's so perfect i was just like holy shit so i listened to this in audiobook it was narrated by christine williams as always she's the perfect match for Anne McMahon's words i actually listened to it over a couple of gardening sessions because i had to like completely unfuck all my flower beds after i got covid <laughs> and didn't do any weeding for uh, five weeks uh... and i also think that was kind of perfect because of the way the garden is such an important figure within the story. So I kind of love that I was gardening while I was doing it. But yesterday, so yesterday, I actually, first of all, I finished three hours of gardening yesterday. I took a bunch of breaks. Wow. But like, can you believe? Who's this girl? It's me. I know. Hey, that's that's amazing. Yes, my COVID is getting better. <laughs> I'm still not lifting weights, but I could do that. And then I was like, okay. Uh, and I had about an hour left. And I told Neil, I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to take a shower and then I'll come hang out. And I was like, wah. Before my shower, I'm going to do 10 minutes of stretching. I did an hour of stretching and foam rolling because I could not (laughs) stop this book. I just had to finish. It is that good. I even sped up. That was even because I was listening to it at I never listened to anything at like the normal speed. So I was listening to it at like one and a quarter or one and a third times speed. I bumped it up to like 1.8 times speed because I was like, no, 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 more faster. Let's do this faster. (laughs) Come on. What's happening? What's happening? (laughs) It just, it's so, it's so beautiful. It's the reminder, I believe it's the reminder we all need that we live in community and that we have to do better when we know something is wrong. I think this might be Anne McMahon's best book. Mm. I feel like it's a little hard though to compare to, her. I think her other best books are Backcast and Goldenrod. Goldenrod is the third book in her Jericho series. But those are ensemble pieces where we see multiple perspectives kind of all the time. And this is so different with it being that first person. I almost feel like it can't compare. It's like nothing I've ever read from her before. It's like nothing I've ever read before. I love it. Run, don't walk. Go get this book. Why are you still listening to me talk about it? You should have already purchased it by now. (laughs) And that's it. 
that's all for this episode thank you so much for joining us if you've enjoyed the show please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts you'll get notified when we release a new episode if you have a friend that you think needs a bunch of queer book tv show movie whatever recommendations in their life please tell them all about it and if you'd like to support the show like i said we have a link to our coffee in the show notes not necessary always appreciated or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites just search for queerly recommended on instagram twitter and facebook or email us at podcast at queerly recommended.com goodbye everyone we did it hooray